Welcome to the home of professional podcasts. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Good morning, Stacy. Good morning, Rich. How are you? Well, I'm okay now that the laptop has decided that it was ready to be animated. All I had to do was pour a couple of cups of coffee on it, and it was good to go. That's usually how I work, too. Yeah, I thought it might be. <laughs> I am at home today dealing with a headache behind my right eye that I can't seem to get rid of. So I'm currently sitting in a dark room. <laughs> it's that kind of weather, for sure. Yeah. It's a really interesting time. So I'm hoping the combination of coffee and Excedrin kicks in here soon. So we well, will see. My son Ricky tweeted yesterday that uh, that technically coffee is plant-based energy. So I agree. I thought you might. I do enjoy a good steak, but I also enjoy a good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we are still uh, practicing social distancing because I want to dig my eye out with a spoon. Um <laughs> And I'm probably not the most pleasant person to be around right now, but let's talk. Let's talk. Suggesting that we should stop with our chit chat and, and actually get to the podcast. I mean, if you want to. That seems like a rather abrupt change of direction. Oh no, <laughs> it happened. Put it on key like that. I, you know what am I supposed to do? I gotta, I gotta swing the bat. Uh, so. Go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as we are talking about uh, Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, the first 31 verses of it, uh, that's really what, what he undergoes is an abrupt change of direction. And I probably missed an opportunity by that a little bit on Sunday uh, because as, as Saul's going on this journey and the imagery that we used uh, in, you know, in-house for the six of us that could see it, <laughs> Uh, and I think we may have used it possibly on the, on the sermon video, but the imagery that we used was a, a U-turn on a road, you know, there's, there's this abrupt change of direction, mm -hmm. but interestingly, that's exactly the opposite of what happened for Saul. He did not change the direction of the trip. He uh, was going from Jerusalem to Damascus. And uh, when he encounters the living Christ and is uh, knocked down, struck blind, uh, and, and everything is, is upended and interrupted. He doesn't change the direction of his actual trip, but it does change the direction of his entire life from that point on. So he goes into Damascus and instead of turning around and, and saying, Oh, I'm not going to go persecute these people and going back to Jerusalem, he goes into Damascus where he was headed to arrest uh, accuse, uh, persecute the church, and instead becomes a part of the church. He, he receives Christ, he becomes baptized, spends time uh, fellowshipping with the believers there, uh, uh, receives the church's authority, or, you know, submits to the church's authority through a man named Ananias, who uh, whether a lay leader or whatever, is only referred to in Scripture as just a, a devout disciple, as a, as a man, a believer, mm -hmm. not as a particular leader there. But God uses Ananias, sends him to place his hands, the symbol of, of uh, approval and authority being passed on. So as he does that, Saul then is welcome to the church, Ananias baptizes him, he, he uh, 
comes into the church and immediately begins teaching about Christ, the same one that he was previously uh, persecuting. He was, you know, that's that's the confrontation that Jesus uses with him when he encounters him on the road is, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. So while Saul uh, isn't, he's probably not giving a thought about Jesus as the person, uh, he's, he's chasing down individuals. He's chasing down people who are, um, who are followers of the way, followers of Christ. He's probably not giving any consideration to the church as the body of Christ, which Jesus clearly is, when you persecute his church, you persecute Christ. I don't know why my webcam's doing goofy things here. Uh, anyway, um, as he's as he's now flipped, you know, he's, he's done this complete U-turn. Uh, that that sort of, as often happens when you're traveling and there's a uh, an abrupt change of direction. Uh, it upends things. Things go flying out, you know, all over the, the car, all over the dashboard, or, or, you know, you hit some turbulence in a plane or, or have a steep bank or turn a boat quickly. Uh, people can get sick. And so right. that kind of happens here. And uh, those who would have supported his persecuting the church are now out to get Saul. They're, they're um, persecuting him, waiting for him to try to get out of the city so they can kill him. The uh, believers there, the church, uh, lower him with a basket through a hole in the wall. So he escapes and goes to Jerusalem, where the believers are afraid of him because he was he was the guy that was persecuting. And now the, the hunter becomes the hunted. He's rejected by the church. And, and, and Barnabas, the encourager, brings him in and stands for him so the church. Ship him off to his hometown of Tarsus, and uh, did you just get did you just get a phone call or something? <laughs> did something break in there? Yeah, Ricky was trying to call. Jeez, have... yeah, it cut out for a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, so you should probably text him later and say, "Hey, quit interrupting." Me. <laughs> Anywho, uh, it's probably because I mentioned his tweet earlier, so you know it just kind of brought in, you know, right? <laughs> he, he sensed it. So anyway. No, we don't believe in weirdness here. So, <laughs> not that, not that kind not of weirdness. That. We are the home of professional podcasts, for all. <laughs> and weirdness. And anyway, so um, then all of this happens. Paul, uh, where he is persecuted, and this this doesn't deter him. That he doesn't seem to be overly bothered by it. He gets it, right? He he was the hunter. Now he is the hunted. He was mm -hmm. the predator. Now he is the prey. Uh, and he recognizes all of this as as will be the theme of his life. And we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, Saul is actually uh, kind of excited about persecution. He embraces it. Not that he likes it. In fact, uh, he prays that the Lord would take the thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, from him uh, and, and receives the, the clear message from God. My grace is sufficient. I am enough. You, this suffering that you're going through, endure it, embrace it. It's from my hand. And it is working out a greater purpose in you. He, re, he goes back to that theme over and over and over again. Uh, this concept of Christian contentedness 
which is contentedness is, is in God is, you know, a theme of the Old Testament as well. Israel's rebellion against God was a constant need to get something more. Yeah, we've got God, but we want something more. We want to be we want to be like the world. We want to have all these things that the world has, like the Gentile nations. And God is is completely offended and affronted by that and insulted, and uh, that doesn't go well for for His people. <laughs> decide we want something besides God. And, uh, and so Saul, anyway, he gets that now in a way he never got it before. And this theme, the things that happen, <clears throat> excuse me, the things that happen here in Acts chapter nine continue to, to echo through his writings, through his speeches. In fact, we'll see uh, him again in, in Acts 22 and in Acts 26, have an opportunity to give testimony to what happens here uh, to speak about Christ as he is using his defense opportunities uh, as platforms to preach the gospel, he uses the same themes here, uh, and, and the Lord uses these themes through him of seeing the light and, and uh, bringing the light to the Gentiles. And this, this blindness from the, the unspeakable brightness of Christ's uh, becomes the theme for him. And so uh, persecution as just part and parcel of what God is doing. This is something, an, an occasion for joy rather than an occasion for doubt. The testing of our faith, uh, we see in Romans 5, which uh, James says similar things in, in his letter, but um, so totally from here on out for the rest of his days, wrapped up in this idea that, that I died, I was crucified with Christ. Who I am went went to the grave on that cross and who I am now is a resurrected me resurrected with Christ by the Holy spirit. And so uh, that, that was really kind of the theme of this whole uh, passage that seeing the reality of Christ radically alters the direction of my life. It happened for Saul. It happens for, for all of us. As we look at, at the stories, not necessarily even the dramatic stories. We saw, you know, a similar, uh, change an altered direction in a much less dramatic fashion in the Ethiopian official just prior to this uh, that uh, Philip explains the gospel to from the Old Testament and baptizes them. There's no miraculous things uh, before that. There is as the spirit takes Philip away. But as you know, as he's uh, laying out the truth for this Ethiopian, uh, the sky doesn't open. The Lord doesn't speak audibly. We don't, have, you know, there's no healings or anything like that. Uh, this is someone who is ready to receive it on the merits of the scripture alone. And so as God interrupted uh, that Ethiopian eunuch plans, desires, uh, he encounters Christ, Philip shares the gospel, and here it is. But whether it's something that is, is more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More, more, more subtle, more, um, more uh, mundane, I guess. I, I, I hate to use that term here, but uh, you know, something that's a little calmer in the story, like the mm -hmm. Ethiopian official or something as dramatic as encountering Jesus face to face and being struck blind for three days. Uh, for all of us, while our conversion details, our conversion stories may be very different uh, the reality that we're no longer on our path, on our track, 
but we've been derailed by Christ, and now we've been moved over to his track. That's the picture of repentance. It's a radical alteration, not just of the things that I say I believe, but the things that I believe to follow them, that, that it, it changes the direction of my life. And, and, you know, we've talked about this a number of times in other passages. It doesn't mean that, that we've got it all figured out. It doesn't mean that we've got it. Right. I was just going to say, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, okay, this is, this is who I am now. This is what I'm going to do now. What? And you never, you know, slip up again. <laughs> if I'm, you know, if I'm traveling up down a Michigan road that is rough and bumpy and there are a few, uh, and I realize I'm going the wrong direction and I turn around and go the opposite direction, I'm still on a bumpy, rough road. It, it, right. It's just my direction has changed. Same thing. <laughs> and a deer and a deer might jump out in front of you. <laughs> the same thing that, that is, you've seen my car, have you? Uh, <laughs> the, the, the thing that changes is the direction. So we as Christ followers, it's, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, life is, is a bowl of cherries and, and we have no struggles. We have no difficulties and we have no doubts. We have right. no fears. We have no, no stresses or worries. It's that the direction of all of those things, the direction of who we are and the way we think now changes. Now, instead of my primary focus being on living my best life now, how I'm going to get my stuff figured out uh, as if God is in it for me, uh, I, I'm no longer as concerned about that. And now my flesh is mm -hmm. still going to come up and, and shout at me. But now when I get those worries and so on i take them to the cross not and i guess this is one of the things i think we miss a lot as christ followers is it's not i take it to the cross so that god can fix it for me he will i trust him right. to do that but that's no longer the goal the goal is lord just make me who you need me to be whatever it is that you're doing in this i i want you i want you more than i want my stuff fixed i want you more than I want to be protected from virus. I want you more than I want my, my job right. I want you more than I want my relationship uh, with my mate or my children or my coworkers or my boss corrected. I, I, I want all those things, but those are all, all subjugated. They're sub submitted to the reality of Christ. Uh, my my granddaughter called me yesterday. Uh, she had an assignment, a homework assignment for Awana, which apparently they must be doing online now or something. And she was supposed to interview some people and ask, ask what is it that drives you to do whatever it is that you do for, for God's kingdom? And I thought, well, that's, that's a pretty neat question to, to have these kids ask. And I mean, I said, look, you know, it's for me, it's it's pretty easy. It, it's Romans 5, 8 and 12, 1. While we were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And so if God demonstrates his love like that, then the only logical response is Romans 12, 1. In view of God's mercy, I'm going to lay myself down. If he died for me, how can I not live for him? How can I do anything else? What What else makes sense? God loves us that much. And so, you know, that's the, that's the dynamic that takes place when we've been captured by Christ. And, and that's, you know, as we watch 
kind of how this plays out in Saul's life. This is a big deal for us as well that, uh, you know, it, it's not that I sought Christ or, you know, I, I found Jesus. We like that, that kind of phraseology. And we have right. the, the, you know, idol of our own free will, that what matters more than anything else is that I chose this independently. I chose Jesus. And we can't stomach the idea of anything else. But that's not what we see in Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. We do see a, a personal participation in choosing. We, there's always uh, a, a response, a reaction, uh, an obedience that takes place from believers. But from Genesis to Revelation, the impetus comes from the, the calling comes from God. The motivation to choose comes from God when we fail. Jonah's a great example. When we fail to obey God because we want to, then God breaks in and grabs us, throws us to the floor if necessary, as he does with Saul, and says, hey, I got plans for you. I'm, you know, you, you created this disaster in your life. Sin separates you from me. You set this house on fire, and I'm reaching in and snatching you out of that fire. Again, all of these metaphors and analogies all break down eventually because they're limited by my human brain and language. But the, but the, the picture that happens here with Saul is Jesus breaks in. Saul encounters the reality of Christ because Jesus interrupts his life. The same thing that happens right. to us. God initiates this. The Holy Spirit comes into us. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes, takes out our heart of stone, flesh, so that we're able to receive the, the message of Christ. Before that, our sinful hearts aren't able to receive that message. We are too hostile to God because of our own pride and sinfulness. We might be open to lots of things, but even when we supposedly receive Christ, but we do it insofar as Christ makes sense to us, to our understanding, then we're doing it according to the flesh. Now, I, I don't I'm kind of maybe talking in, in strange circles, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to over, overly nitpick things. But the bottom line is Christ interrupts Saul. Christ interrupts each one of us. When we encounter him, it's because he initiates the encounter. But then the light of, that, that blinds Saul, this holiness of Christ, is also the thing that illuminates the world for Saul for the rest of his life and also for us. The light of Christ changes how I see everything that there is to see. Whatever I'm looking at, when I begin to look through the lens of Christ's holiness, the light of Christ changes how I see it. And that's uh, really what, what Paul the same Saul, later known better as Paul, uh, says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that we no longer see anything or anyone from a worldly point of view. That used to be how we looked at Christ. We used to look at Christ according to our own human reasoning, according to our own logic. And, and as we did that, uh, <laughs> my, yeah, Ricky, Ricky sent a message to the Facebook stream to apologize for interrupting <laughs> now totally distracted me this is why i need you to be present so you can see the messages because i throw it ricky knock it off <laughs> that was me not him so again 
we are the home of professional podcasters. But as we are, uh, as we're working through all of this kind of stuff, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have to change cameras here, but <laughs> as we're working through all this kind of stuff, the, the thing that changes for us is not our personal human understanding, but it is the light of Christ that alters it. So just as Saul said, you know, we used to look at, at Christ through this human way of thinking, this worldly point of view. We can't do that anymore. Now that we've seen right. him, now that we've actually seen the reality of Christ, everything is different. How we look at life is different. How we approach people is different. How we handle adversity, the stability that we have when things, all of it is different. Not simply from personal maturity. Yes, living for Christ does bring maturity in a whole other way. But it's, it's not just the personal maturity and growth that comes with age and, and increased wisdom. It's the knowledge of God, the fear of God, recognizing that, that we can't have a relationship with God apart from his grace. And it alters the way we view things. And, and so Saul then surrenders himself. He submits to Ananias. You know, again, Ananias is afraid to go to him because... Uh, the guy is a persecutor, right? So I heard the stories of this guy dragging people out of their homes. So if that's if that's what you're sending me to, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And God says, go do it. That seems kind of obvious, right? God says it, go do it. So where Saul was coming to take guys like Ananias out of their homes and arrest them, he now on his knees in the darkness of his own physical blindness with his heart newly opened by God and ready to receive it. As Saul, in this moment, surrenders to Christ, he allows, receives with humility, forced humility, as most humility is, he, he allows Ananias to place his hands on him, pray over him. He receives this, this uh, what, what's almost an apostolic blessing, though Ananias is not an apostle. He receives this benediction, this blessing of the church and he embraces the church as his own so now he he goes into this recognizing if i'm if i'm going to be with christ if i'm going to surrender to christ then i need to embrace his body the church which is what he does he spends a few days in fellowship with the believers that he came to persecute then he goes and preaches then he goes to find more believers and throughout the rest of his time he is committed to building to, to beginning and building up churches to the edification of the body, to the, uh, to the authority of the body, not to the authority of individual men, but the authority of Christ as demonstrated in his church. And, and not only the submission to the authority, but the love and intimate connection with his body. Right. And, and the same thing is true for us. If we're going to surrender our lives to Christ, then we must embrace the church as Christ's body. We need to not just, go to church we need to embrace the church we need an intimate connection a love a passion a desire to be with other believers and to recognize that we are not our own we've been bought at a price we belong to christ christ has given us the church as his body as his representatives in the world and that's not just for our witness to the world it is our witness in the world as we do life together as we live together in christ as a body so there's there's a body life that we can't really get away from and and that 
that change in desire from hating the church to loving the church that we see in Saul's life, from pursuing uh, what seemed right to him to giving up anything that, that he once held dear for the sake of, of knowing Christ is a picture of, of this idea that we, when we see the reality of Christ, when we grasp who he is, when we understand what grace means, how desperately uh, we, need, we need a relationship with God that we can never, ever have. I, I don't think we get that enough. Our situation is so desperate and so hopeless that if God hadn't broken in and interrupted us and, and knocked us down and blinded us so that he could give us new sight by his Holy Spirit, if we hadn't had that happen, we would be dead and hopeless. But seeing the reality of Christ now, because of that grace, radically redefines my plans and my desires. What was super important to me before, my career path, whatever else, whatever that was, it's no longer as important. It's now what matters most is to be Christ's, to be his, to fulfill his plan for me, to, to make God smile. What I desire is no longer worldly. It's no longer based in my flesh and this temporal life. So that's why Christians historically had a whole other level of not fearing death. It's not, a, not coming to terms with it that, oh, yeah, it's going to happen to everybody. It's recognizing that, man, that's when I actually get where I'm going. That's when I get to be with him. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul had as his new plan and desire for the rest of his life, as he expressed to the Philippian church. And so even when he went through hard times, as he does here, and as we go through hard times, uh, and, and, you know, we look at the stories of what Paul went through, beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and snakebite and all these different things, uh, these just unspeakable persecutions, you know, being being imprisoned and, and carried from, uh, from uh, chased out of Palestine and arrested in Antioch and, and taken away, uh, you know, all the way to Rome, that uh, he, he really kind of embraced that suffering. Right. Because when I begin to see things through the light of Christ, then that reveals to me that, that suffering is God's tool in my life. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that, that God's, you know, we're, we're so often surprised by God's suffering. We try to make excuses for God because we, you know, we don't want God to be, you know, culpable for suffering in the world, which God doesn't shy away from. Right. He's using what the devil intends as a weapon. God is using, and I should, I should clarify, he's not using in a reactionary way, but he is actually already in, in the prehistoric eternity of his own wisdom. He has already ordained that suffering as a tool. Whatever it is that the devil is using to attack us, God is, is using before the devil even thinks of it to shape us, to, to make us who we need to be and to bring about everything that needs to happen in our lives so that God can complete what he began in us. And in the light of Christ in Saul's life uh, reveals that suffering, that persecution as a tool that drives him out of Damascus back to Jerusalem. It drives him out of Jerusalem to Tarsus. And as he's going through all of 
the things that he's going through, every part of this stuff is from God's hand to do God's work, to build the kingdom, to, to find more believers, to build more churches, just as we saw when, uh, when the church began to be persecuted in Jerusalem following Stephen stoning or with Stephen stoning, it, it didn't kill the church. In fact, it spread it. It, it, it spread the seeds and more believers began to, to crop up everywhere as the Holy Spirit did his work. So there's a lot of, a lot of big time things that happen there, all that, that come into the same idea that seeing the reality of Christ radically alters the direction of my life. And well, you kind of just mentioned it there. These past few chapters that we've been going through, it does seem like a lot of quote unquote radical things are happening in for these people to change their directions or, or have, or have their eyes opened or whatever, you know, including with uh, Paul, Saul. Um, but it would have been less confusing if it, his name was like right? Saul, Jimmy John or whatever. Right. Uh, it's like, but wanted it easier um i think there's people today uh myself included are sometimes looking for uh these major signs or major changes or up to use the word we used this week uh, a very abrupt change i i don't i don't want to confuse anyone in saying you know that everything instantly changes the the minute you i i guess open your eyes to 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 christ um i think you put on a key word there in in everything what changes is our direction our plans and our desires change so now I, i no longer belong to myself i belong to christ but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden having just been born right i you know i can run a marathon and I, I think a lot of people born, that that's frustrating because we that's frustrating because we especially today live in a society where everything is instant, and uh, we have grown to expect that in everything we do and everything we experience. And so, if we like you said, a good example: if you're just born, you don't know how to do everything right away. You can't walk right away. You can't you know do anything immediately. Um, but you're you're here. You're new you have accepted a new way of living uh, and it's not all going to come instantly. And that's, that's hard to, to fully get sometimes. And it's kind of, right. and, and it can be even frustrating. Absolutely. Because especially I think now, I think, I think now at this point in our society's history, uh, we have more of a desire. I think we've always had a desire. We have more of an expectation for immediate gratification, right. immediate action as soon as this uh you know change happens we think that you know and, and maybe it's because we've been you know misled maybe it's because we're just spiritually intellectually and emotionally lazy uh, you know we, we do the same thing with with marriage for example we think we have a big wedding and have a big party and we're in love and that's enough every tv show every movie every song being in love seems to be enough Right. That, that's right. All We've talked about this before, you know, with with Hallmark movies, the movie ends when the two characters get together. <laughs> right. And that's Which really just great. the beginning. But the but the real work. Yeah. The right. real work is after that, once the cameras aren't rolling, right. you know, once the fiction goes away. Now it's the the days of push and broom. It's the right. days of, you know, changing diapers, paying bills, you know, working through 
you know, <laughs> sorting out the pictures of old boyfriends and old girlfriends, all you know, <laughs> the, the things that are, are tedious but real. And that same thing happens in our spiritual life. There is our, our justification in Christ being set right with God is immediate. But there's a progression to our sanctification. We are sanctified in our position immediately. We've been, we've been justified. We've been made right. Christ paid for our sin. But the, the journey, the pilgrim's progress, if you will, as we journey toward the celestial city, it is, it's a series of growth experiences, just like the metaphor of this physical life. And I say that very consciously, that this entire temporal life we live in is designed to give us a picture of the greater eternal life. Not that this life isn't real. It's real, but it's part of our growth process. We're, we're, we're learning in all of our physical changes, in all of our, our daily personal growth, that our walk with Christ is also a journey of growth. And it, the while the abrupt change is in our direction we're no longer living our life we're living christ's life we still haven't figured out how to do that yet and so we see that even with saul there is a, a period of growth of, of progress in fact he'll he'll even say later on as he's writing the scriptures and not that i've attained all this i haven't gotten there i haven't gotten this all nailed down but what i am doing and i will always do is i'm going to forget where i blew it i'm going to i'm going right. to turn my away from the past and my shortcomings and all that. And I'm going to focus forward on Christ, who is the prize. I'm going to focus on the high calling that God has for me when he called me out of the world and chose me for himself when I was still his enemy. I'm going to focus on that. My gaze will be upward and I will belong to him with every part of me. And when I blow it, well, that's my nature. That, that's, that's who I am. Right. The old Thing to err as human. Well, that's true. And it doesn't excuse it, but I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, woe is me. I really blew it. God must not have really changed me. That's not it at all. Right. Uh, when having a toddler yourself, uh, a, a, you know, now preschoolish, you know, virtually, <laughs> Yikes. Uh, you know, he's grown right up. Right. You've gone through He's going to break things. He's going to knock things over. He's going to fall. He's going to fail. And half the time, he doesn't even know it. Right. So go around cleaning up messes after a little kid who's destroying your life. And he, <laughs> and he doesn't even know. He's just, hi, mommy. I love you. Blah, right. Blah, blah. You know, Gabe Dwums. Gabe Dwums. <laughs> you know. Yeah, as, I think as, I'm, I, that might be what's contributing to my <laughs> Yeah, well, the mistakes parents make. Right. But anyhow, as we... As we see that children, babies, you know, learning to walk, they don't fall down and think, oh, my gosh, I am such a moral failure. Right. I really let down my parents because I don't know how to walk. Right. Goodness gracious. Of course, we're, we have to learn to walk. They're not thinking about it. They're just growing. Right. And we should get our focus a little more like that. Focus on Christ. Focus less on, you know, that we, we think of it as humility, but it's really pride. Mm -hmm. We think that feelings matter so much because our Christian walk is about us. It was never about us in the first place. Right. Well, we will stop there because we're over time. <laughs> yes, we are. You got me going right at the very I'm end. I'm sorry. Oh, that was my fault. End this thing, and then you bring up a whole can of worms. I'm sorry. So uh, that's, I feel, you know, that's what a podcast is all about, Charlie. Well, and we are, of course, the home of professional podcasts. So I apologize for the small, uh, 
maybe 30 seconds that was missing earlier in this, you can uh, blame Rich's son. Uh, for- the problem was doing a podcast over the phone. Right. All of you are catching the live screen, live stream. Uh, then you know you didn't miss that right. part. So good call, live streamers. Uh, hopefully by next week we'll be back to uh, our normal recording situation. Um, at least normal being a very relative term. True, normal for us. Um, we will hopefully be back to doing that uh, and trying to you know get back to some sense of normalcy here as we keep moving forward um we are socially distanced yes correct unless we live in the up um (laughs) so we will as always if you guys have any questions or anything just leave us a comment on facebook you can send us an email at something real at reallifeonline.org or leave us a voicemail either on the anchor app or you can even leave it uh with the church rich what was that number again for the church uh, 269-756-RLCC. Hey. Uh, so you can <laughs> you can do that. Uh, and we will be back on Friday with another episode. If you haven't checked out the sermon from last this past Sunday yet, that is on Facebook and YouTube and our website. So be sure to check that out. Or you can listen right here on the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So that's all I have. Rich, do you have anything else? So many things. Okay. Well, we're going to cut you off anyway. Good call. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.